With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Something's Not Right. I'm Olivia. And I'm Tashauna. It's a bonus Thanksgiving episode. Yay. Bonus. Excited. And if you are one of our Patreon subscribers, you also have access to a second completely different Thanksgiving themed episode. We are just giving you all the content today. See, and now you I'm have gonna... stuff to be thankful for. That's right. And then I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> okay. So after a short break, we are going to get into a grisly murder that happened just three years ago in Easton. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tonight's story takes place on Thanksgiving of 2016 and in the days following and the framework of facts came from a december 2016 washington post article but i will note information that came from elsewhere and as always you can find all of our sources in the show notes so let's travel to knoxville in east tennessee to the two-story home of 61-year-old Joel Michael Guy Sr. and his wife, Lisa Guy, 55. Joel Guy Sr. grew up in Kingsport, Tennessee, and he worked as an engineer in Knoxville, but he'd recently been laid off. And Lisa worked at Jacobs Engineering in nearby Oak Ridge. Thanksgiving 2016 was set to be the family's last in the Golden View Lane home, as the guys had just sold it, and they planned to move in two weeks. Also, I like calling them the guys. Yeah, I liked that too. Yeah. The couple was not spending Thanksgiving alone. Joel had three daughters from a previous marriage, and they were there, as well as his son with Lisa, Joel Michael Guy Jr. So they were all there for the holiday. And from here forward, I'm going to refer to father and son as Joel Sr. and Joel Jr., and hopefully it won't get too confusing. After the meal, Joel Sr. and Lisa said goodbye to the three daughters, 
And Joel Jr., who was 28 at that point, was actually not leaving until the following day. That was the plan anyway. And then he would head back to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where he had an apartment. And he was driving back to Baton Rouge. So you wouldn't want to do that after dinner, I guess. No. It's like a nine, nine and a half hour drive. What happened in the following days is a little bit uncertain. So the narrative that we have is just basically from what investigators have been able to piece together. And before we can talk about the weekend, we actually have to go forward to talk about the Monday after Thanksgiving. That Monday, November 28th, Lisa didn't show up for work and she couldn't be reached. This might stand out for any employee, but it was especially notable in this case because there was a goodbye luncheon planned in her honor that particular day because where they were moving was going to be a little bit out of town. So I guess she was leaving that job or maybe even retiring. I'm not sure on that. Needless to say, her absence was alarming, and so her employer called the police to do a welfare check. According to Knoxville NBC affiliate WBIR, Joel Sr. and Lisa's cars were outside the house when sheriff's deputies arrived. And this report was a little bit unclear, but it sounds like they initially left without entering the home, but ended up coming back. I don't know if they, you know, they probably went up and knocked and didn't get an answer and it was locked. And so they went away and then decided to come back for whatever reason. But they didn't know how they were going to get inside to check on the couple. There was a realtor who suggested that they grab a garage door opener out of one of the couple's cars. And so they were able to let themselves in that way, which is, that's clever. I, you know, it's so obvious, but like, I'm not sure that I would have thought of that. That is really smart, actually. Yeah. What the sheriff's deputies found inside the guy home was gruesome. First off, when they opened up that garage door, they immediately noticed a lot of heat and also a, quote, weird smell, according to WBIR. Ew. Yeah, and what you're thinking that weird smell is is probably not what it is, but we'll, we'll get more on that in a minute. Inside the home, they found guns on the dining room table, and then upstairs, they found a pair of hands on the floor disembodied hands Uh, okay they were not connected to a person and those were eventually determined to belong to joel senior deputies and investigators then exited the house because they knew that this was a big fucking thing they had on their hands and so they wanted to get out and strategize and figure out the best avenue of confronting this huge and grisly crime scene i mean i and i think too that you're realizing you've got an entire house basically as a crime scene. You want to get out of there until you know how to approach it carefully and not disrupt anything important before you can document it. Well, good on them. Yeah. So when they re-entered, they found what the Washington Post described as, quote, a homemade acidic solution. And in that WBIR story, it wasn't clear if, At first, they just found the bottles for the solution or if they found the chemicals that were in containers with remains, but that is what was going on. Uh, In any case, they would eventually stumble on some other remains that were in plastic bins in an upstairs bathroom. So we're 
We're talking about a really fucked up scene here. According to WBIR, Knox County deputies found Lisa's head in a pot in a state that was described in records as, quote, cooking. Jesus. Yeah, that's upsetting. I mean, it wouldn't be surprising to me that, you know, in spite of all the things these people have probably seen, if something like that didn't cause PTSD in some of the investigators. That's just, it's beyond horrible. There was evidence of a struggle, but no detail was given on that, so we don't know what kind of evidence that was. But to add to the chaos, a golden retriever was found closed in an upstairs bedroom and barking incessantly. Well, I guess they didn't kill the dog. No. And, I mean, I'm not totally sure how long the dog was alone, but, yeah, the dog was, I guess, okay from this. And, and I did read somewhere that, you know, later on, that this dog did go in the care of a family member. So happy ending for the dog. The thermostats were turned up all the way. So like well up over 90 degrees. What? And then there were space heaters on in the house too. So that explains that immense heat the deputies encountered when they came in the garage. And my guess is the heat was turned up in order to speed up decomposition on any remains that the acid didn't fully process. You know, I don't I don't think it's a matter of preventing identification. It's probably pretty obvious who it is if it's in their own home, but maybe maybe the killer wanted to destroy potential evidence on the bodies through decomposition. So that's Mm-mm. my best guess on it. Various sources gave different accounts of the DIY acid solution, but it was basically just like a bunch of random caustic ingredients like bleach drain opener, sewer line cleaner, and hydrogen peroxide. And evidently it was pretty effective at breaking down the remains, but not so much that it prevented identification of the victims. And the paper didn't say exactly through what means the investigators identified them, but uh, they, you know, they were able to positively identify them as Joel Sr. and Lisa. It was also determined that there were stab wounds present. None of the information I read said whether those were found on both Joel Sr. and Lisa or if it was just one of them, but there were some stab wounds that they were were able to make out. Curiously, Baton Rouge paper The Advocate reported that investigators thought the couple might have been tortured, but they didn't give a reason why they thought so. Maybe it's holdback evidence. I'm not real sure, but... A spokesperson said the condition of the bodies wasn't such that a determination of torture would be easy and that there weren't any obvious signs of it. So, I don't know. It's kind of a mystery. Like, what leads you to think that? Also, see signs of it. Unless, which I may be jumping the gun, but unless you were planning to come back, Maybe don't leave them in their fucking house that they live in. (laughs) Right. Well, because of the acid and probably also the state of the remains, investigators had to wear hazmat suits. And it took them about two days to process this crime scene. There were also groceries on the floor in the home's entrance, which WBIR said were purchased by Lisa on Saturday afternoon. I don't know if maybe there was like security footage and receipts that 
narrowed that down, but it, it definitely narrowed down the time frame in which she could have been killed. According to the advocate, neighbors told investigators they didn't hear or see anything out of the ordinary over the weekend. And incredibly, the person who had bought the home from Joel Sr. and Lisa, the one who was about to move in, arrived there on the scene, like while the scene was being processed. I think it was that same night they found him, according to the advocate. Um, Can you fucking imagine? I'm sorry. No, no. And I don't think it had been on the news yet. So I don't know if they were just stopping by for some reason or what. But um, I hope for their sake that it wasn't too late to back out of that sale because I'm not living in that house. There's a lot to unpack there. Nothing I read actually said what led investigators to focus in on Joel Jr. as a suspect so quickly, but that's what they did. And it could simply just be because he was the last person known to be with them, or maybe there was something in the crime scene that hasn't been released to the public that pointed to him. But investigators surmised that Joel Jr. had killed his parents sometime between the time his sisters left Friday and Saturday afternoon, and that he actually stayed in the house until Sunday. But like I said, with those groceries his mom got, You know, we don't know about his dad, but she had to have died sometime in the mid-afternoon Saturday. So Joel Jr. actually ended up being arrested in Baton Rouge outside of his Nicholson Drive apartment on the Tuesday following the killings. And he was charged with first-degree murder. Authorities had him under surveillance before they arrested him late that afternoon in the parking lot, according to the advocate. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Authorities didn't make news of the murders public for two days because they wanted to get a jump on arresting Joel Jr. before he knew they were on to him, the Washington Post reported. But what was his alleged motive? Joel Jr.'s sisters said everything seemed normal and there was no drama during their visit. Additionally, the Washington Post said authorities hadn't found any history of mental illness for Joel Jr., nor did he have a criminal record. Neighbors told the advocate that he was reclusive, and these are, I'm sorry, his neighbors in in Baton Rouge, who said he was reclusive. Paper also mentioned he lived alone. He had had a roommate at some earlier point, but when all this went down, he was just living there by himself. The Washington Post reported that authorities didn't know if Joel Jr. was a beneficiary of any life insurance on his parents, but that didn't seem likely. 
And I mean, I think, you know, with four kids, there's a good chance that it's split between them or chances are, you know, each one would have it going to the spouse. And then as a secondary beneficiary, it gets split between the kids. Maybe. I don't know. I used to be a life insurance agent, so... Yeah, I guess it would just depend on, because I know I have life insurance through my job now, and you get to pick, like, who, like, you can have a primary and then, like, I have a primary person and then a backup. Right, right. And so my guess here is that the kids would have been been secondary beneficiaries, but if so, then then you're also splitting it four ways so i it's just not probably not much of a motive well these people probably though have a lot more asset wise than i do (laughs) well you know it's me too (laughs) however there was a potential financial motive members of joel senior's family told the kingsport times news that joel jr's parents had been supporting him for almost 10 years uh-oh. Yeah. And for nine of those years, their son was in college. The wording the paper used was, quote, allegedly studying to be a plastic surgeon, end quote. So I find their use of the word allegedly to be interesting. <laughs> Not sure what that was about. In any case, Joel Jr. attended LSU at some point, according to investigators, though the school wouldn't confirm his attendance. It was very confusing. The advocate reported that he may have withdrawn from LSU in 2015. Basically, the facts on his attendance are kind of muddled. Um, An authority with the Knox County Sheriff's Office said Joel Jr. had been unemployed since he withdrew from the university according to the advocate. Authorities also told the media that Joel's parents were going to tell him the free ride was over after the Thanksgiving get-together, specifically that they were, quote, in the process of encouraging him to fend for himself. Well, there you go. Yeah. And that quote to me suggests that they might have already been having some talks with him about it, maybe like gently hinting at it about cutting off the financial support before maybe a bigger, more serious planned talk at Thanksgiving. And this tracks with some more signs of premeditation, which I'll be getting into very shortly. So we can speculate that Joel's mom and dad may have said, Hey, we're not helping you out anymore if you're not going to work or at least go to school. I mean, that happens to a lot of people who are lucky enough to have parents who can help out. But most people don't kill and dismember their parents for it. No, 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 no. Joel Jr. exercised his right to remain silent after his arrest. But a spokesperson from the Knox County Sheriff's Office confirmed to the Kingsport Times that the day after Joel's arrest... He did mention something about uh, discussing finances with his parents over the holiday. So it seems like that conversation did come up. WBIR reported just last week that there are court documents suggesting that the murder was planned well before Joel Jr. ever came to Knoxville for the holiday weekend because he bought those corrosive agents in Baton Rouge, I think it was at a Lowe's, several weeks in advance. So that's pretty damning. And like, man, planning to not only kill your parents, 
but planning to do what he did to the bodies afterwards is shocking. Well, and I I have questions, but maybe I should wait till the end. Okay. Because I, I feel I can't like... Promise- well, I just feel like there's a lot of missing pieces. Not on your yeah. part, but like... <laughs> yeah. Well, fair warning, there may still be missing pieces to this at the end. The TV station also reported that Joel Jr. purchased rubbing alcohol and hydrogen peroxide at a Walmart late on the Saturday afternoon following Thanksgiving. It was like, I want to say they said like 3.35 p.m., So this was after Lisa's grocery trip. And that alcohol and hydrogen peroxide were presumably for the bandaged hand that could be seen in the surveillance video from the store. He later needed medical treatment for those wounds. So I think the dots were supposed to connect there that he was injured as he allegedly killed or dismembered his mom and dad. Mm Mm-hmm. Joel Jr. planned, according to his defense team, to drive back to Baton Rouge to have his hands checked out at LSU's student health clinic and then to return to Knoxville. So let's pause and talk about how this makes absolutely no fucking sense. That's a 650-mile drive each way. So you're looking at more than 18 total hours of driving so he can go to the student health clinic. Yeah, see, what... (laughs) And I, so I don't understand if he has withdrawn from the school, how he would have access to it. But let's like entertain that for a second, that he's got access to the student health clinic. And maybe it's something you can go to if you don't have insurance because he's, he's 28, can't be on his parents' insurance anymore. So, so what if he's thinking, oh, I can go there because I can get, you know, free care for this. But I mean, damn, go to a minute clinic, go to the fucking ER if you've got to. He sounds kind of dumb. Dumb or, you know, not right. I mean, I know they said there was no history of mental illness, but, like, it doesn't make sense. I don't know. And, uh, you know, for the time being, we're not going to know why he did that. Supposedly, he did go to Baton Rouge. So I, I guess he got his hand looked at there. But then he made it back to his parents' neighborhood on the Monday night following the crime. And when he got there, he saw the crime scene tape and all the police activities. So he turned his ass right around and drove straight back to Baton Rouge. And sometime not long after he got there, he was arrested. I mean, he drove through the night to get back to Baton Rouge. And that's mostly the end of the story up until now. According to Nashville ABC affiliate WKRN, Joel Jr. was indicted by a Knox County grand jury in March 2017 on two counts of first-degree murder, two counts of abuse of a corpse, and two counts of felony murder. And he's now 31 and still in custody awaiting trial. But just last week, there was a little bit of movement in his case after Judge Bob McGee denied the defense's motion to suppress evidence that was removed from Joel Jr.'s old bedroom in the Knoxville House. WBIR reported that Judge McGee said in his denial, quote, this was no ordinary homicide scene. This was a double homicide in which two people were butchered and their body parts were in multiple locations throughout the house. Many were in caustic liquids, some simmering, 
some soaking. That paints a pretty vivid picture for you there. The station also reported that Joel Jr.'s attorneys are trying to suppress other evidence that was taken from his Baton Rouge apartment on the day of his arrest, too. So we don't know the result of that motion yet. But that's where it stands for now. So, I mean, we can update everybody when the trial happens, but I'm not sure that I have an answer for your questions. (laughs) No, I mean, that kind of answered it because... I was immediately wondering, like, why the fuck did he just leave? (laughs) But then you went into him leaving, but it's still dumb. Like, and is he, and I'm sorry if you said this and I missed it, is he admitting that he did it? He's not talking. Okay. So. Can you imagine being his fucking siblings? I, I cannot. I mean, that's. That's awful. I I just... Like, I know we've talked about this on the show before, but not saying that it's ever... I never try to justify killing another person, but if it was a situation where the parents had abused him his whole life and he finally just snapped or was like, you know what I mean? That's one thing. But for me, always, anytime we talk about cases or all the books I've read, stuff I've watched, always the stuff where it all comes down to like greed. Yeah. Or money is for me the most disgusting stuff. Like it's the most, I can't, because I just don't think that way. You know, not that, like, I've really ever had a lot of people in my life with a bunch of money, but I just don't, I don't, I can't imagine, I cannot imagine being so greedy for fucking money that I would not only kill someone, but kill my parents and then, like, dismember them and try and boil them down. Well, there were certainly no allegations of abuse reported. I mean, I you know, if if anybody's going to contend that, I guess that'll come out in a trial. But so far, I mean, it sounds like they were very nice people. And, you know, as is pretty much always the case with whatever we cover, there's not a lot of available information on the victims. But I do have something to read to you from the couple's obituary that'll kind of give you a little bit of a view of of Joel and Lisa. So that obituary said, quote, Joel was an engineering designer and Lisa was a human resources administrator. They were married for 33 years and were true soulmates. They adored their grandchildren and their love for life and travel took them to many places together. No matter where they were, the time you spent with them was filled with love and laughter. Their smiles and laughter will truly be missed. Findagrave.com also contained an obituary for the couple, which said, quote, They both had a great sense of humor, were loving and kind-hearted, and the most compassionate people. They were the loves of each other's lives. They enjoyed anything that involved being together, which included being in nature and on the water. They loved their kids and adored their grandchildren. And the site also noted that Lisa was an animal lover 
and that the couple loved Jake, that golden retriever that we talked about earlier, like he was another one of their kids. So because of this, the obituary suggested a donation to an animal shelter in lieu of flowers, which I thought was particularly kind. Yeah. But that's all I have on that crazy Thanksgiving story. I've got a couple of like housekeeping notes, though. Okay. People are interested. Well, first of all, this is kind of exciting. So, on our next regular episode, I don't have a date for it yet. Presumably, it's going to be next week. But we have a very special guest who's going to be on. Um, someone who co-hosts a podcast that you guys have probably listened to. So, I'm not going to say who yet. We'll just tease you for a little while. But we do have a guest coming up, and uh, so look forward to that. Now, the other thing, which you may have already heard if you listened to our last episode or saw me talking about it on social media, is that we need your help. We want to go to CrimeCon to represent Something's Not Right and Flat Rock in 2020, but the organizers are super picky about who they give spots to, and they're not going to invite us unless a bunch of people tell them they want to see us there. Basically, they want to know that People say, oh, Olivia and Tashana are there. I want to spend money on tickets for this. So what we're asking you to do is to go to our website, and that's notrightpodcast.net. There's a link right up at the top. I put it right there where you could see it, where you can fill out their quick survey. It's five questions. Don't think you have to fill all the things in, but you certainly can. Just be sure and include Flat Rock and Something's Not Right. And, you know, if you've got other podcasts you love, include them on there, too. And just let them know they're getting two shows for the price of one with us. So that link is there. We appreciate your help. Want to get more exposure for the Kathy Jones case and all the other lesser known cases we've covered. And it would just be fun. So yeah. Uh, On a related note, speaking of Kathy Jones, tomorrow, the day after Thanksgiving, November 29th, 2019, will be the 50th anniversary of the death of Kathy Jones, which is the case that I covered in depth on Flat Rock. If you haven't listened yet, I would appreciate it if you did. It's a sad story, but also an important one. And you can stick around at the end of the show to hear a trailer for that. And, you know, if you want to go out, if you're in the area and you want to go out and visit her grave or leave flowers or whatever she's at spring hill cemetery in madison i think it's garden tea and there's a pretty grainy if you do a google image search of like spring hill cemetery map there is a pretty grainy map that comes up that'll tell you where garden tea is but you know feel free to go out there and visit and i just want to say and i'm not just saying this because you're my co-host and my friend that I think you did a really great job and people should definitely listen because everyone knows that I have impeccable taste. <laughs> I'm proud of it. And also I, I had some voice acting from mostly from other podcasters and um, ones you guys have heard before, but Tashana did the most voice acting for me. She did the voice of Kathy's mother, Nora, and hers of course was the best acting, but you know, she's a professional. So anyway, uh, but that's all I have on that. As usual, 
if you enjoy our show and want to help us offset those research and production costs, you can consider becoming a member of uh, Patreon, our Patreon subscriber. I don't know how words work. And <laughs> among the perks available to donors at all levels are bonus episodes and stickers. We are also dropping a Thanksgiving bonus episode on there today. We have a PayPal account too if you want to, you know, just buy us a cup of coffee, whatever. But you can find links to both of those at notrightpodcast.net under the support us tab. And thank you, as always, to Justin from Mysterious Circumstances, Audrey Arndt, Hope Brazel, Patton Fuquay, Allison Klima, Kathy Lind, Janet Logan, and Terry Quillen. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>